0: Hi, welcome to the Artificial Intelligence, Machine Learning and Data Science Weekly Podcast. My name is Kwan Hong, or you can call me K.H. In this show, I'll be talking to AI ML and data science practitioners around the region. In each episode, I will dive into relevant and interesting AI ML topics where you get to know more about topics ranging from AI ML adoption, best practices, and tips and tricks to be a better AI ML data science practitioner. Hi, welcome to another episode of AI, ML and Data Talks Weekly Podcast. In today's episode, I'm super excited to have Sam Witwin, the CEO and co-founder of Red Dragon AI and Google Developer Expert GDE in Machine Learning as a guest for the show. Hi, Sam. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Quan. It's good to see you again. It's a long time. I realize it's almost three years since we met in China. Yeah, that was the last trip. We went to Beijing and then we actually went up to the Great Wall in China in the, in the middle of the night and then we managed to see a full moon. <laughs> that was a fun trip. It was fun trip. Yeah. Yep. So welcome to the podcast. So as usual, uh, let's start the show by maybe giving a brief introduction about yourself, uh, maybe your childhood or your education background and also about your current profession. Sure, yeah.
1: So uh, I guess in relation to sort of deep learning in AI, um, I, I didn't study, you know, this at university. I uh, originally, uh, so I had, you know, a whole couple of careers before I came on to data science and AI. Um, I originally worked in the music business. Uh, I was very lucky in, in my 20s that I, I had some success in the music business, sold a few million records of, of things that I wrote and produced on um, and then I could see that the music business was dead. And so I sort of pivoted. Anyway, long story short, about, uh, I guess, about 11, 12 years ago, I started getting interested in, in coding. And, and I'd been doing some, some sort of startup stuff then. Uh, and so I taught myself to code. And I ended up launching a, a startup uh, for children's educational apps. So this was in the early days of uh, when the iPad was launched. Um, We could sort of see that like, oh, this was going to be a big thing. And so, you know, uh, at that stage, I had had coders working for me for a few years on other businesses. And so I realized that I kind of needed to learn it myself to be able to check whether they were bullshitting me or not, this kind of thing, right? And I just got, you know, I fell in love with it. So I I got involved in that. Um, And then as we sort of launched stuff on the, the app store and stuff, it became obvious that we needed ways to get really good at optimizing for downloads and optimizing a lot of the data so we ended up having four million users for that startup uh, and so that led me to machine learning and so very early on I guess you know uh, probably about nine ten years ago I started to get interested in machine learning uh, with one of the big areas being uh, you know natural language processing uh, and then sort of around 20, late, maybe late 2014, 2015, I got interested in deep learning. Uh, and, you know, that, you know, with, with, what was it, 2015? I think TensorFlow came out. Before that, we were using a bunch of things like Theano and uh, Framework Lasagna. Um, I met my uh, co-founder of my current company, uh, Martin Andrews, Dr. Martin Andrews, uh, at, a, at a meetup, in 2016, and you know, he was one of the few people that was actually talking about deep learning. So uh, we we became friends pretty quickly and ended up, you know, starting up Red Dragon uh, a year and a bit after that, maybe two years after that. Uh, so yeah, so I definitely come from a, from a different you know uh, point of view from most. Um, nowadays, uh, you know, Red Dragon uh, specializes in doing uh, deep learning around mostly around sort of things related to conversation. Uh, So natural language processing. Um, We're also very interested in voices. We're also very interested in in sort of, you know, the whole digital human aspect, that kind of thing. So we're we're sort of working on stuff like that. Uh, We were Google partner. Uh, We basically, you know, did consulting for some of Google's customers. Obviously, you know, I think you mentioned that uh, um, uh, Both Martin and myself are both uh, Google developer experts for machine learning, and we were were right at the start of that. So back in 2017, uh, I think we were in the first 12 people appointed around the world for that. So, yes, that's been a fun ride. Uh, We do a lot of research stuff. We've had papers at workshops at NRIPS, at EMNLP, at NACL. Uh, at you know at quite a number of conferences now um w- obviously we can't compete with the big guys on compute but we're very interested in you know things about how we you know how you can do some of these things with less compute and you know so we, we had a paper about distillation of, of transformers right when they first came out uh, at NRIPS. uh
0: yeah so that, that hopefully that gives you a rough idea wow I, I didn't know that you are you actually have a very interesting <laughs> background from a transition from music, from being a, a music uh, a career to, to, to deep learning and, and what, to what you are doing today. I had't know that about you. <laughs> it, it's been a long
1: it's been a long road. I and I, I guess I've lived in yeah I guess I should have mentioned I originally come from Australia. Uh, I left Australia uh, a long time ago now, literally on the, the evening of my last university exam. I got on a plane. And I thought I was gonna be gone for three months and it's quite a long time now, <laughs> you know, uh, you're coming up on uh, 20s, you know, high 20s years or whatever that I've been away, I've been back to visit but I haven't been back there to
0: live since then. Yeah, so just, just for the benefit of our audience, uh, so Sam is actually based in Singapore now.
1: Yes, yes, so yeah, and I've been, been here for, for, for quite a while. Um, I did a little stint in New York in 2018 uh, for a while I, I was supposed to go back to New York last year, but then the whole pandemic
0: hit, and I think it was probably better to stay in Singapore. Okay, so interesting that, that you mentioned about natural language processing, which is NLP. So, basically, in, in, in a very layman term, what is NLP actually? Oh, that's such a broad question.
1: <laughs> you know, I guess it's using uh, computational and statistical ways of analyzing text, right? I you know when i first started in being interested in in uh natural language processing back then most people were really just talking about things like you know term frequency sort of stuff really old world stuff like tfidf uh you know and counting and stuff like that and i, I remember you know right early on i wanted to to learn as much as i could about this so i took a course about you know nlp and inverted uh you know quotes and uh, I was kind of amazed at like, you know, how, you know, how that <laughs> how sort of. Sort of overly simple. A lot of it was like things like bag of words models seems really counterintuitive to just throw away syntax and you know do that kind of thing. And I remember talking to the people, you know, the the guy that was teaching the course about, well, what about this this new cool word embeddings and all this deep learning stuff? And they're like, oh no no no, that's just research. That that's probably not going to take off. And I, and I think I, early on I had a gut feel that no, this this word embedding, embedding thing looks to be a thing, right? Um, and then, obviously, yeah, it did take off, right? Uh, and, and certainly, you know, in the past uh, three plus four years now, with Transformers, we're coming up on four and a half years since the original Transformer paper came out. I, you know, this is the standard way for doing everything now in NLP. So, you know, I guess what, sort of to answer your question again, you know, we uh, we we also do a bunch of teaching. So uh, we we run some courses and we have a, a big three-day NLP course. And in that, we teach people everything from sort of text classification to text generation, um, whole sort of you know entity recognition and extraction. Uh, you know, NLP is such a wide field nowadays, uh, and it seems to be getting you know wider, obviously, with the,
0: all the transformers and stuff. So yeah, so NLP is, is basically using technologies to actually uh, try to understand. Uh, It's actually like, it's it's trying to enable computers to understand the process of human languages. So once the the computer can understand the human languages, what are the general application of NLP actually? Uh, I think there are a lot of applications, you know, and I think the, the,
1: every day people seem to find new applications. So probably the, the biggest bread and butter application is what's called text classification. So that can take the, a, a few different forms. One that probably a lot of people have heard of is sentiment analysis. So looking at a piece of text and deciding, is this positive, is this negative? Uh, and it's kind of amazing. And, and that might have, that might be just positive, neutral, negative. It might be like one star, two star, three star, four star reviews, those kind of things. Uh, You know, there are constantly uh, different uses of of that kind of stuff. Um, So, but text classification can also be a lot of other things. Uh, Sort of looking at text uh, and deciding what type of question it is. Or in in chatbots, people use this a lot for doing things like, you know, intent detection uh, on a chatbot. So that's sort of probably the main field of NLP would be text classification, but then you also have sort of text classification at a word level. And this is where you see things like, uh, you know, named entity recognition, uh, parts of speech tagging, uh, general sort of just looking at something and deciding if it's an entity or not. Uh, And in sort of traditional chatbot models, you have the whole sort of thing of uh, what we call slots and intents. So intents is looking at the entire sentence and saying, okay, what is the intent of this what you know what class does that fit into and then the slots are looking at each word to say okay is this word a particular type of word that relates to that intent so for example if I say you know what's the weather going to be what's the weather going to be like in Singapore this weekend so the intent there would be that that's a weather intent or a weather query intent And then you've got two slots in there, one which would be Singapore, which would be what we call the location slot. And the other one uh, would be, you know, this weekend, meaning the time slot. So you want to have two different types of models or often can be one model doing two different uh, things uh, where you're predicting both the intent of the overall sentence, but at a word level, you're predicting that this weekend is a slot for a time, right? It's a time uh, entity in in that case. And Singapore is uh, known as a GPE entity or geopolitical entity or location entity uh, for for those sorts of things. So they're probably the most common ones. Obviously with nowadays, we're seeing, you know, with things like uh, GPT-3, people doing a lot of interesting things with, uh, with text generation. And actually, you know, this is probably not that new now. It sort of goes back, a couple of years to sort of GPT uh, itself and then GPT-2 and models like Control from Salesforce uh, that have this amazing ability to generate uh, syntactically and grammatically correct uh, text. Not always factually correct, right? I guess we can sort of touch on that. But uh, that's something that, that that those models are really good. Um, we uh, Man and I have always been interested in these language models, uh, so we, we basically looked you know, at these very early on. Um, we had a paper at uh, EMNLP, one of the workshops at EMNLP in 2019, all about paraphrasing with large language models, and that just came about from just sort of wondering, so could I teach one of these models to basically just rephrase what I said? And it turned out that that worked very, you know, very well. Uh, surprisingly well for us at the time. I, and not only could it do it at a sentence level, but you could even start to do it at a paragraph level as well. And so that was something that just didn't sort of exist in NLP before that, right? You know. Uh, being able to take a large chunk of text and then sort of transform it or generate new text based on that text. So that's obviously led to summarization. It's been a huge uh, you know, thing with, with abstractive summarization rather than just picking out the top sentences in a story, it can actually rewrite a story, those sorts of things. And, and we're still seeing you know, amazing things with that nowadays with things like uh, you know, some of these models that help you write code that you can start tell it, hey, I want to write a function that does this and this and this, and it will then basically you know, generate text. And in that case, you know,
0: rather than being a natural language, it's being a, a computer language that's generating. Yeah, so I think the we have come a long way you know, from the natural language processing to understand the sem- semantic, understand the intent of the language, where now we are actually talk about natural language generation and the NLG part where you say that the GPT, uh, which is a generative uh, pre-trained model, where you actually able to look at the uh, model being trained and able to actually generate more uh, synthetically, like you said, synthetically uh, correct uh, uh, sentences, but might not have a uh, uh, factual or might not be, uh, 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 I, I, can, you, can you say logical, but- uh, Yeah, definitely definitely logical. Like, you know, I think one, <laughs>
1: of, the, one of the classic examples with GPT 2 was they had this fantastic story about unicorns. Uh, and that how scientists had discovered unicorns in the, in, somewhere in South America. And the, the problem was the story said, and these unicorns have four horns. Now that kind of doesn't make sense, right? If it's a unicorn, right? You would, it, we know that like, that, that that has a distinct logical meaning, like you said, you know? Uh, and so the rest of the article reads perfectly true. Uh, and, but that, you know, that. Uh, that part didn't. Um, They, they, you know, definitely when they came on the scene, though, they were pretty amazing at what they could do. Uh, You know, I'm not sure I buy OpenAI's whole thing about, like, how scary they were and, you know, dangerous they were and stuff like that. Uh, But they, they certainly have been you know, sh- shown to do really nice things, obviously because we can fine tune these to do other things. Um, and, and the natural language generation stuff is something still, you know, we're massively interested in that at the moment. Uh, we're currently interested in sort of guided natural language generation of where maybe you can get something to look at a, a graph and then generate uh, text based on what it, uh, information, based on facts that it gets from a graph. So it's not just generating uh, you know, I think one of the things that both Martin and I are quite strongly uh, believe is that you shouldn't rely on language models for facts, because uh, at the end of the, the day, these are just outputting probability distributions, and facts don't really work like that, right? You should have some sort of look up to a database or something for the fact, and then use the language model to generate uh, the the sort of realistic sounding version of that fact.
0: So, so do you think the, the language generation should be connected to some sort of like a knowledge graph to do something like a factual checking? Totally, that's a, that's
1: exactly what we're working on. Yeah, things like that. That's, you know, that's one of, one of the things that we're working on. Um, and mm-hmm. we find that, that that, you know, makes things much more, uh, y- you know, it just allows, it, it just makes a lot more sense, right? That, it, that if you've got a database or some sort of, like you said, a knowledge graph, you know, knowledge graphs is something that we've been interested in for quite a while. Uh, that if you can do a simple query lookup you know uh, a sparkle lookup or something like that on a on a graph then you can get the information and then you can feed that information to a language model which can then put it into nice natural language that
0: a human you know that an end customer or something would understand yeah so this, this, this is definitely will prevent all these this information that's going around, especially around during this pandemic, because, because uh, I think there's a lot of uh, in the in the social media, there's a lot of uh, uh, you know what I mean, text or post being generated probably by all these national language generation that might not be factual.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, th- I think that's that. You know, uh, maybe the pandemic has shown that probably more than a lot of things. Like a lot of people have tried to just train up. You uh, know, I saw a number of interesting sort of things. Uh, where people were trying to train up language models on all the COVID papers that had been released. Now, of course, the COVID papers are going to contra- contradict each other, right? Because you're going to have one scientist say, well, I think this is the solution. And someone else say, this is the solution. And then, you know, people are trying to use the model to then generate, you know, answer questions about it. And you're getting, you know, at, at best sort of vague information or, you know, things that that are wrong Um, Obviously, language models that are trained up on social media are very dangerous for that reason. That you know, that really, what you're getting is the uh, is what the masses say, rather than something necessarily that's accurate. Uh, you know, in the, those sorts of cases, because if your your models trained up uh, to learn a probability distribution and it sees you know something that the masses that everyone is saying, it, it will then start to, to believe or hallucinate that that is the actual fact.
0: Yep. Yeah. So I think that 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 was one of the problems, yeah, like you said, uh, social media text is actually could be you know could be could it's, it's never a good source for training for all these models. I remember in uh, 2016, uh, actually Microsoft released an AI chatbot called Tay. That actually in within one day, it actually corrupted itself. <laughs> so, uh in your opinion, how do we address this problem in the, in the near future? So, so Tay is something very you know is
1: very interesting. Uh, example, yeah, you know, like Microsoft uh, released it. And from what I understand that they had kind of tried to make it as, po- you know, as sort of intelligent as possible in that it could it could OCR stuff from images. So while they did have some NLP sort of checks for stopping things, to some degree at, at least, uh, people sort of worked out how to trick it by sending it pictures. Um, even there's actually, there's another very big uh another very big tech company I won't say who that we've been playing with one of their models recently and uh and it has a safe mode and an unsafe mode and so I was testing this out recently and I I asked it you know what do you think of Hitler and it basically said oh you know he's he's bad this is in the unsafe mode right so this is not what the public could use I and uh and sure enough, so I thought, so I was impressed. It's like, okay, that's cool that it's got that kind of answer. But then when I phrased the question another way and said, oh, Hitler's really good, isn't he kind of thing, uh, then it would go along with that line of thinking. So it was very easy to be led. Uh, and that's what's the dangerous part of it, I think. You know, And I think that's what happened with Tay, too, was a lot of uh, people, you know, you know, basically tweeted at it, all these, these things, which it was on sort of a, some sort of self-learning mode, and then it just regurgitated them out. Um, here's an interesting fact, though. You know that, that the exact same model or a Chinese version of that model operated uh, in China on social media for a long time without having any problems. So does that tell you something about the American or the Western sort of thing that people like to mess with these things more on Twitter than they do on Chinese social media? I don't know. But
0: the social media in China is very controlled, isn't it? It's actually-
1: Maybe, yeah. but yeah, like, you know, it, it certainly did seem that the users in China were much more interested to actually try and have a conversation with it than <laughs> to try and scam it into being something. Uh, you know, like, I, you got to feel sorry for the developers of that, right? You imagine that they put a... We both know that they would have put a lot of work into it. Uh, and then to have it out on Twitter for, you know, what was it, less than 24 hours or something, you know, certainly uh, no longer than a day or two, and then have to take it down just because it brought so much bad publicity. Um, you know, that, that that's a shame. I, but it, But I guess that also then set the... Uh, the modes so that people do when they people make these models now, they are putting you know safe modes into them where they use another classifier to say, is this something appropriate to say or not? And those okay. things
0: seem, seem to work reasonably well, yeah. But in 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 uh, inherently in reality, people are still biased in it. So, why was that the human is the human itself is inherently is biased actually, in a way, I'm not saying that that uh, we are not uh, we, can, we, we cannot be unbiased, but we have this, you know, <laughs> things that we, we are considered, sometimes considered to be biased. So how do we resolve this issue about algorithm bias that I think that will pass on to our, the model that we build? Okay, so I totally agree with you that, you know, humans are fundamentally <laughs> biased,
1: right? That, uh, and the, the, the data, really more than the, the actual humans, the data that is out there that people are using to train these models is fundamentally biased. Um, I think the, one of the classic examples for that was with the Google translation engine of where y- you would say something like, you know, uh, she is a, a doctor, translate it to another language and translate it back and it would come back as he is a doctor or something, you know, like the, there was a, a thing about that. Um, and. You know that that's not because anyone on that team thought, oh yeah, this is we really want to do this, right? I think that's where the general media, uh, you know, does a disservice in trying to make out that it's like you know bad people on these teams and so forth. It's nothing like that. It's just that uh, you know for whatever reason, you know, certainly back then maybe they weren't checking their data as much as they uh, as they could have. Right? And, and I think, yeah, that that's the difference now is that people now are trying to train up classifiers to sort of say, you know, is this a bias? The problem with that, though, is that you're always just looking for the biases that you know about or that you're actually looking for. I This, this is one of the things that, you know, I think is kind of interesting that... Uh, you know, you see a lot of these tech companies say, well, we're trying to democratize AI and, and you know, but they're doing it in a very Western American way uh, that sort of skews to biases that they don't like. But maybe, you know, that people that in the in other parts of the world, people have totally other different biases that they don't like. I And that's, you know, I think that's always going to be a challenge uh, that 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 these models are going to reflect sort of the the values of people who make these things. Um, It's interesting. I I saw that that, uh, this week that GPT three is now being released into beta or something or into sort of general access for people. Uh, And they the, they claim that, you know, they've built all these different things around it to sort of protect it from saying any hate speech or anything like, like that. Um, I was amazed, you know, actually, one of the things that we saw at EMNLP in, uh, in 2019, we attended uh, one speaker, I think from Facebook, I'm, I'm not sure, basically showed that if you just put some, a number of specific characters that looked like random characters into GPT-2, uh, and I'm talking about things like, you know, hash mark, exclamation mark, five, six, you know, some, not, uh, some uh, letters and stuff, that it would just start spewing out all this racism, right? And uh, I, I must admit, like seeing that I was a bit taken back of like, wow, okay, I, you know, that really does show that, that the data in there was never checked, right? And I guess, you know, when you think back to GPT-2, they were training on 40 gigabytes of, of data, which was mostly scraped from links coming off Reddit, I think from memory, I that, that was something that, yeah, in hindsight, maybe it would have been good to make a racism, you know, text classifier to see does this page, you know, have any racism before we, you know, put it into the data set. Um, You know, so I I think people have learned from that. And and obviously the, the, the issue is getting even bigger now that you've got models like T5, which have moved to being trained up on a data set of like 765 gigabytes of text. Right, you know, which is insane amounts of uh, text, and that's filtered down, I think, from about six terabytes uh, from memory. So you've got, uh, you've definitely got, you know, issues with these. But yeah, you know, fundamentally, they they are going to reflect the values of the of the people who are making it and what they're, you know, trying to take out as a as a bias and what they're prepared to leave in. Um, unfortunately, the internet is an extremely biased data set right we, we just kind of know that now
0: yeah yeah but uh yeah definitely the internet is a is, like you said an extremely biased uh, data set but then that's real, real reality in it if we try to remove all the biases then when we teach to the model it's actually not reflecting the reality that we are actually facing actually I, I don't know don't know whether it's that it, good thing or bad thing actually
1: <laughs> I, I think this is, you know, this is some of the decisions that we need to make, right? You know, they, like, and and maybe they're not going to always be made by the people actually creating the models. They need to be made uh, at a society level or something like that. That You know, the challenge is I would hate to see sort of legal, uh, you know, things that say, oh, you can only have this in your data set. Kind of, that, is, that is not ideal. Um the but but I do think, yes, at least now people are aware of it, you know, certainly three, four years ago, no one was talking about this when you were at academic conferences back then, you know, you maybe had a very small uh, niche group of people who would bring these things up uh, and everyone would be like, oh, yeah, okay, well, that's a good you know, that's a a good point, but we're just going to keep scraping the internet, right? Or, you know, because it's easy or it's, uh, you know, something that we can do. I think nowadays that's not acceptable, right? Nowadays, people want to look at these things. And that's, that's, you know, very challenging for like some of the things that we've been doing. We've been building language models uh, in Southeast Asian languages. So looking at things in Tagalog, looking at things in Thai, looking at things in Bahasa. And... Uh, the challenges there is that for, you know, a lot of those things, we don't have anyone on our team who can speak that language. So then it becomes like, okay, well, we need to sort of find people or we need to sort of get, you know, some sense of, okay, what's this, this corpus like that we're, gonna, we're looking at using for training? Uh, and even then, you know, if you're scraping things like news and stuff, a lot of those those organizations have a clear political bias or a clear, you know, uh, you know. I think that's very true in Southeast Asia, right? We've seen that in, uh, in in you know this is one of the few places in the world where you can still have coups like Thailand and you know and presidents like Philippines where you know th- th- those people clearly have agendas that, that, you know, that a lot of other people would not agree with. Um, so I think, yeah, th- those sorts of things are, are
0: always going to be a problem. I... Yeah, so I, 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 since you mentioned that uh, you actually train your model different languages, I was actually quite interested because to, to find out because most of the NLP models are trained using English languages. So it, would there be any difference if you if you compare model trained in different languages, uh, would, it, w- would the models come up with different results or English language is the main language to train and from there you actually try to do a translation to other languages? Okay, so uh, mostly what we do for the
1: language model stuff in other languages is trained from scratch. And the biggest problem there is just lack of data. I So, you know, I I've forgotten what the, uh, you know, I've forgotten what the, the size difference is, but for example, you know, like Thai Wikipedia versus English Wikipedia. This, you know, it's probably an order of magnitude, or maybe even two orders of magnitude difference, you know, in size. Um, and it's interesting, even amongst the Southeast Asian languages, you find, for example, that uh, apparently the 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 Vietnamese Wikipedia is three times as big as the Thai Wikipedia. So, like the certain countries, they have you know people they seem much more geared to like oh yeah no we need to make this ourselves whereas other countries maybe maybe not as much and that always brings in problems because then you've got you know just issues of having enough data it's very easy now to download a data set of a few hundred gigabytes of english data but trying to get um sorry if you you know even yeah, a few hundred gigabytes of, of that. Whereas for some of the Southeast Asian languages, finding like one gigabyte, two gigabytes can be really difficult uh, for that. So that, that's always one issue. Um, Martin, uh, you know, he's the, the head of AI at Red Dragon. He's done a number of experiments with things uh, to do with translation uh, and, and found some interesting stuff with that. So that, that can work, but it's obviously not ideal. Uh, and especially if you're trying to train up a language model to actually be much more just general, uh, not for one specific task, but that can be a base that can be fine-tuned for text classification, for entity recognition, for these things, then you generally want to have as much, you know, you just do it all in that language. Um, yeah, you know, so that, that those things can uh, raise issues. Obviously, you you see lots of issues with things like. Um, Thai you know, is, a, is a continuous language, meaning there's not spaces. Uh, so that brings up a whole bunch of issues. Uh, you also see things like in, uh, in Thai, you basically can have uh, vowels be uh, above, below, to the left or to the right of a consonant, right? So uh, my name in Thai is actually written A-S-M, not you know, S-A-M. All right, so things like that can be, uh, can be, be challenging. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit lucky there where I can speak Thai and I can read and write Thai from having spent time there. Uh, so that, uh, that sort of helped me to understand that that's an issue. And like, if you look at BERT, so if, you know, Bert, the first the original version of BERT came out in a hundred languages or something, but Thai wasn't one of them, you know, because of some of those issues to do with the continuous stuff. Um, Google, to their credit, Google went on though to fix that and and make a version that you know that they did have tie in as well. Um, the other thing thing we're seeing too nowadays is some really good multilingual uh, models come out. Um, I think you know Facebook is one of the 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 fair team. Facebook AI Research with Yang uh, Le Kun's team is is doing some amazing work around that stuff. Um, just this week they released a new version of Uh, their WAV to VEC, so for doing ASR in multilingual, you know, where they're training it up on all these different languages. And it turns out that they're sort of now showing uh, that actually a model that's trained up on lots of languages can actually do translation and and some of these tasks better than one that's just trained up on, you know, English to French or French to English kind of thing. When you train it up on on lots of different languages, it does kind of have this... uh, overall understanding, which I, for me, I find fascinating, right? That's something that I, I think, like, you know, at, at the end of the day, humans generally are commun- communicating the same things to each other. So if we can sort of spot those patterns and have a nice way of spotting those patterns, you've got to think that that helps us a lot uh, along the road to, you know, some sort of AGI or, you know, some, or, you know uh, something along those
0: lines. Interesting Okay, for, for someone with keeping progress of the uh, uh, of NLP for quite some time, what do you think is the most uh, progress that's uh, most fruitful to the ML committees that uh, that you see in the NLP at the current moment? I,
1: I definitely, it's got to be the you know the language models. Uh, you know, they're they're doing uh, amazing stuff. Um, I don't think that it's necessarily the GPT threes. You know. Uh, And the thing is, GPT-3 is no longer the biggest one out there, right? You've got multiple companies now have made things bigger. Um, Microsoft NVIDIA just recently uh, did one, I think it's 580 billion rather than 175 billion. Um, You've got uh, Google uh, and uh, and one of the companies in China have done these, uh, what they call mixture of experts models. Kind of language models where you're looking at a trillion parameters, or you know, getting up to that. Um, The the issue with those, you know, I guess, is that they're much more sparse models. Uh, And so the question does seem like, okay, going forward, are they going to be the interesting thing, right? You know, like the 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 so traditional language models of like the autoregressive things like GPT uh, models. they're very, very dense. Whereas the mixture of experts models kind of split up as they go along. And then they just use one tree of the model uh, for one particular task or one type of classification and then something for another one. It's interesting to see that that Jeff Dean just recently uh, wrote a paper in the main Google blog uh, talking about a, a thing called pathways. Uh, the, the idea of this, this pathways uh, idea, which to me sounds like he's describing mixture of expert models um, w- when I looked at it. Uh, and they're sort of you know thinking that this is one of the futures. I think definitely that probably one of the most exciting things is multimodal models. So for the first time, we're now seeing models that are not just text or not just images, but they do images and text. Right, uh, and then I, th- I think you know we're not far off having sort of images and text and audio, which that just clearly makes sense. That us as, as humans, we think in all the different modalities. Uh, we don't, you know, we're not limited to just text input or just vision or that, that kind of thing. So uh, it seems to me the 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 some of the mo- multimodal models that are coming out, um, things like Clip is a really amazing model too. That using with some of these multimodal models. I, I, you know, I just sort of fascinating at the at the ability they're they're getting. So you've got on sort of the vision side, you've got, uh, you know, amazing things like StyleGAN three, you know, all these sort of photorealistic, interesting sort of models there, and then now you're sort of people are starting to merge some of these ideas
0: with the the language models. I think that's probably the 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 way forward. Yeah, by looking at all these multi models, we actually. Getting closer to AGI, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know if we're getting closer to AGI. Um, I think AGI is a whole
1: different thing, um, and and the thing is, but but definitely we we don't know, right? You know that that that's the, uh, I, I you know I kind of feel like it, it's funny, you know that that. Uh, deep learning just sort of crept up like it seems so i you know at some point you should do an interview with uh, with martin my, my co-founder He's uh, a re- very interesting take on it in that he did his phd in you know uh, at, at cambridge with with machine learning and you know he sort of saw the first wave of the neural networks right and it was just maybe starting to go down Uh, you know, almost coming to a crashing halt as he was sort of finishing up his PhD or as he was doing his PhD. And then the the, the interesting thing is we've since met people who did, you know, PhDs in AI and stuff in say the late 90s or early 2000s. And they didn't do anything to do with neural networks, right? It was all symbolic AI. It was all, you know, all this sort of expert systems, that kind of stuff. And uh, so, you know, it's interesting to sort of, uh, listen to Martin talk about, you know, some of the things that you know, what people were thinking back then. And then like, yeah, it did come to a screeching halt. And if it hadn't been for sort of Ben Gio, Jan Lecour, and Hinton sticking to it, you know, people would have probably thrown these things away and, and not come back to it. And yet nowadays, deep learning is driving, you know, pretty much 98, 99% of all the you know, so-called AI breakthroughs. Uh, so it is kind of amazing in that sense that. So if we get another breakthrough like that, then maybe AGI is just around the corner. But maybe we need like three or four more breakthroughs like that
0: to get to the AGI. Bit. Yeah, I mean, th- at that time we have that three three pillars of problems, eh, which is not enough data, we not have processing power, true, yeah. there's not not, enough, uh, not 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 many good models out there, machine learning models. are I think that's the three pillars of problem that. That, that that was the winter time for AI at that at that moment.
1: <laughs> yeah, you, you have experience with that too, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah, I think the I think a lot of those things um, you know, I, I, I do think the multimodal thing is gonna be really interesting. If we're looking out sort of like the 2022 where are we a year from now, you've got to think that there's going to be some more breakthroughs with multimodal stuff, and that we're going to see even bigger models that incorporate both the language and vision stuff together. And then it becomes like, okay, what will people be able to do with that? At the moment, um, I, I, I've i been preparing a talk for to give uh, this week, we're doing an event. Uh, with, so we, we have a, a machine learning meetup in Singapore. Um, and we're we're doing that online, and I'm I'm giving a talk about StyleGAN three, and so I've been playing around. You know, it's one of the things that I'm kind of interested in. There's all the StyleGAN stuff, and I uh, you know the ability to sort of make art with these things, where you can uh, you can literally put in um, different you know, like I can say that I want a painting of Elon Musk, and uh, and and I can get a model to generate something like that through text and uh, you know, StyleGAN is is really amazing. Right. So, you know, I wonder like a year from now, will you be able to say, I want a cute cat video and it just uses StyleGAN to make the video, make the cat, animate the cat in a realistic way so that it's getting, you know, maybe not fully photorealistic yet, but it's getting close to it. That's going to be pretty scary, right? On-demand on GIF
0: animation create. Yeah. Great <laughs>
1: Or even sort of like if you could imagine that it could do, like if it could do 10 second video clips or, you know, so you've got to think that uh, that things like uh, movies are going to be radically changed from this. Imagine if I, I can type in and say, I want to see a Boeing 747 uh, and it's going to blow up and crash and, you know, something like that, right? Now, obviously, even now, that would cost millions of dollars to do the VFX, right? In the past, it was either impossible unless you actually blew up a real plane, right? Nowadays, with VFX, requires a lot of smart people sitting there doing it. If a year or two from now that someone can just do that, type it in, and it, and it comes to being pretty realistic where then they can just go in and fix up bits or something, you've got to think that, that, wow, that's going to, radically change movies. You know, like we, if we can sort of just say, well, uh, you know, uh, I want a scene where Brad Pitt's going to walk in and he's going to turn to this actress and he's going to say this line and he's going to have black hair, you know, and it's something can do this. And, and you've got to think that we're, you know, we're probably a year, a couple of years off that, but, you know, being able to do some things at least semi like that which brings up a whole bunch of other ethical issues, you know, what's, uh, what are people going to be allowed to use, right? Brad Pitt's photos out there across the internet everywhere. It's not hard for, you know, some of these models to learn to recreate his face, you know, kind of thing. We see that a lot with the deep fakes, you know, the, The uh, Tom Cruise guy doing the, you know, deep, deep fake Tom Cruise guy stuff is just so accurate that, you know, he he's having to say, oh, yeah, look, this is just a fake at the end of each video is because when they combine it all together, it just looks so realistic. Yeah. yeah, I think probably the multimodal stuff is probably the most interesting stuff. I think we'll see a lot more stuff still with, uh, with language and NLP itself. Um, you know, we're, like I said, we're very interested in uh, guided natural language generation, uh, incorporating sort of, you know, databases, knowledge graphs into these things. Uh, and you can imagine that that's something that is very powerful. Already, you know, Google uh, people treat Google like it's a a sort of intelligent, you know, AI, right? The, the people just go in there and type in a question, and it will generally find some, some you know some kind of answer, and <coughs> it's just using the internet as its database. Yeah. Right? So yeah, we've we've sort of been playing around with things like that too, with you know incorporating
0: search that kind of stuff. Okay, uh, let's shift gear a bit. So I I know that you are also an advisor for many startups. So In this current situation, what what would be your one advice for anybody who want to jump into setting up an AI company? Wow. Okay. So, (laughs) uh, yeah, so I do, uh, I'm one of the advisors for
1: Google for Startups uh, for both uh, Asia and uh, North America. And one of the things that I see there uh, is that, I guess medium to long term, every startup needs to have an AI plan, uh, but at the start, probably most don't need to, right? Or, or should stay away from it. Um, one of one of the things that so I guess there are multiple types. So you said an AI company, you know, that what I guess I would ask, be asking, what does that mean uh, nowadays? Uh, you know, if, if somebody's making something where it's clear that. Your whole sort of selling point is the AI or something. Yeah, you better have founders that know how to do the AI, right? It, which in that case, fine, go, you know, go and do that. What I see more often though is where people have got some idea for a company and then they want to do machine learning or they want to do data science science and stuff like that. And and the challenge, what I end up telling most of them is don't do it right? Not yet. Don't do it yet, right? Meaning if you haven't gotten to your Series A round where you've raised enough money to hire people to do this, don't, you know, at the start, just do everything, you know, manually, get your customers happy, do all that sort of stuff to get to the point where you've got, you know, your Series A and then maybe you've got, you're raising enough money to uh you know to hire some people to do this the challenge obviously is series a from country to country and region to region is very different uh and and that was really true when when mentoring the southeast asian companies most of them that were very early stage had raised probably max half a million dollars us uh you know maybe a couple of them had raised a mil two mil that kind of thing the us ones you know there were some startups in that group when I'm looking at them, okay. So how much have you raised? Oh, we've raised fifteen million dollars, right, for our first round. So it shows, like, in that kind of situation, okay, yeah, you've got money to you've got some money to spend and to to justify doing it. Um, I think for Southeast Asian countries, though, I we did a really interesting one recently, just for Indonesia, and I actually found that to be really interesting talking to some of those those companies, and they were doing stuff that like is so far removed from like what I know, like selling fish to Japan, right? And you know, one of the startups basically buys fish from all the small uh, you know fishermen in, in Indonesia, processes them and then sells it to Singapore, Malaysia, Japan, Australia, US or something like that. And so talking to them about like, they, they were sort of telling, you know, that they're doing quite well. Uh, and they want to sort of get you know, in on this. And they've got real use cases. So they want to be able to predict, well, what would the price of fish be in three weeks? You know, like if we were to uh, you know put these on cold storage or freeze them, are we better to do that and then sell them later? So we've got things like price prediction. And then even things like uh, what I what I was amazed to find out was that they have people actually look at the fish and say, oh, this is a grade A fish or a grade C fish. <clears throat> and I was asking them like, well, how you know? can you train someone to do that? They, they're like, yeah, you know, like after you've done it long enough, you can spot the differences. And so they were saying to me like, you know, is this something AI could do? And it's like, well, yeah, we know image classification can do that kind of thing, right? If a, if a human can do it and you could teach a human to do it, uh, as long as you've got enough data then you could actually just make an app where someone could, could do that. So they actually had like real good, you know, use cases that they had the data for, or they could get the data for. They could then, uh, you know, get the, the sort of tech before, for, you know, for doing that. Um, even with them though, saying like, just do small projects. And th- this is one of the things that Martin and I recommend, you know, for all the, the, Uh, when we're dealing with companies and when we're teaching people and stuff like that, we always say, start out with something small so you can get a win, right? If you, and and usually go for something that's not mission critical. Um, I think the classic example of that would have been Google uh, itself and, and Andrew Ng, that when they started Google Brain and they wanted to sort of push deep learning inside of Google, they didn't go for search, right? The most obvious thing would have been, well, let's go, you know, search makes all the money. Let's go and do that they realized, okay, yeah, but what if what if you don't get good result, you know, all this sort of stuff. So they went for something, uh, they went for, you know, voice, for ASR. Uh, and they realized that, okay, people were starting to use voice more, if they could get, you know, and the, the current systems back then were, you know, hidden Markov models. They weren't doing very well. So they realized, okay, well, you know, if we could get a win here, this would sort of prove it. And I think that they did, you know, from, uh, what I understand. So that, that's the sort of thing that you, you kind of want other companies to do. Unfortunately, uh, I heard a stat, I think it was last year that, I've forgotten exactly the stat, but it's like 70% plus of all machine learning projects never make it to production in companies. Uh, just because, you know, they, for whatever reason, uh, and we've, we've heard that multiple times, you know, and it really shouldn't be the case. Uh, You know, I I think usually that's because of people, you know, choosing the wrong project to do uh, at the start. So, yeah, I think startups really need to be uh, sort of killer focused on what does the customer want? How do we deliver that? And then if later on, if they realize, oh, yeah, we've been collecting this data. One of the big things that I work with them uh, early on is just setting up the tools to collect the data. Mm -hmm. So it it makes. You know it amazed me that um yeah like you, you you know you see some startups and they've got half a million users for a mobile app but they don't have any analytics in their app you know it's like whoa okay you know forget ai let's just start with analytics and Get, you know, drills down on some of these things.
0: They're sitting on a pile of data, which is very, very valuable for them. The,
1: yeah. The, and they, <laughs> well, well, in this case, they weren't even sitting on the pile because they weren't collecting it, right? At least if, you know, some of them have realized, oh yeah, okay, let's at least start collecting, you know, what we can. Um, but with that one particular startup, you know, I just said to them like, look, just forget machine learning. Don't, yeah, okay, I, you know, I, you need to just focus on getting a good analytics system into your app you want to track, you know, uh, how often people are opening app, you know, or who are the most responsive users, all these sorts of things. And then you, you can then think about like doing something with data science and machine learning later
0: on. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think uh, I have a last question. Go for it. it. Since uh, you, I think this is the, the right question, since you actually you know, really from, uh, from someone who is not from machine learning background, really, you know, because of the passion, you actually move from music to, to where, where you are now, what would, what would be your advice for people who wanted actually to, you know, to start their career in data science or machine learning or AI? Anything that you, you a good advice for them?
1: the, you know, obviously you need to learn stuff. And I think that in, in some ways, in some scary ways now, is there's a plethora of information. Uh, you know, when I was trying to learn this stuff, there was almost nothing on the internet back, you know, 10 years ago. I, and then, and even with deep learning, like, I, you know, I can remember, I, you, you know, around the time I, I met Martin, at, you know, that stage Uh, we'd often meet up for lunch and we would have both found the one new deep learning article that came out that week, right? And we would be like, oh, look, did you see such and such, yes, right? And nowadays, like, I I guess there's probably a thousand articles a day or, you know, at least a few hundred articles a day that you see on Medium on, you know, every sort of thing. Um, And, you know, I think the danger now is it's just so much, The other danger, I think, is that uh, things have become a lot more specialized than they were, say, five, six years ago. Five, six years ago, you you know, if you learnt, uh, if you were learning deep learning, you could pretty much pick up all the different versions of it. Meaning, like, you could learn to do computer vision, you could learn to do uh, natural language processing, you could learn to do time series, you could learn to do, you know, all, all these different things. And... And it wasn't a big deal to read papers because papers, there weren't that many papers out back then. Uh, you know, nowadays there are so many papers on archive every, you know, every day and every week, and there are so many blogs and stuff covering papers. I. And nowadays, like we talked about with the NLP earlier on, it's just splintered into so many different things that some people specialize around text classification, some people just do entity recognition, and you know, uh, some people do you know all these different sort of tasks. And each of these tasks has a whole community around it, and and I think that's something that wasn't there six years ago. Um, Just at EMNLP was just last week, two weeks ago. Uh, and attending that this year, uh, one of the workshops I went to was the question answering workshop. So I was kind of really interested to see like, okay, what they were talking about question answering. And the workshop, or the, sorry, maybe it was the tutorial. Uh, the tutorial for this was so specific that half of the tutorial was just question and answering for multilingual. Right now, you would have, you know, six years ago, you just wouldn't have seen anything like that, right? You The fact that you had, like, somebody talking about Q&A stuff would have been like, whoa, this is really cool, right? Whereas now, people are splitting it up into Q&A with graphs, Q&A with, you know, knowledge graphs, Q&A with multilingual, Q&A for, you know, for large corpuses, Q&A for books, you know, th- this kind of thing. Um, and... Uh, I think that sort of fragmentation means that you you shouldn't try to know everything, you know. So uh, you know, I think definitely, uh, you know, definitely the you want to sort of get the basics. So you've got a good grounding in you know in understanding how com- you know CNN models work, RNN models work, um, you know, fully connected models work, transformers work, etc. You need to know those basics. Yes. And you need to have a good strong grounding in understanding the different elements of machine learning, uh, you know, those sorts of things. But then at some point, you've got to start sort of specializing a little bit to go into that, okay, I'm going to focus on uh, this particular thing or that particular thing. And it's interesting, uh, you know, I I think some people get that and some people don't. Um, A couple of years ago, I think it was 2019. I, I gave some talks in Korea, and uh, and I was amazed at the ecosystem up there. Right, the, the ecosystem was super strong. Partly, one of the reasons there is because they they teach each other. They have like these amazing meetups. Uh, the meetup that I spoke at was limited to 100 people. They charged for it, which you know was was kind of insane. Um, because they charged for it, they then could give everyone a meal and a, you know, a T-shirt or something, which was uh, cool. But then everyone there was committed to being there, right? So I, And it was interesting because I was catching the train. That was, that was at Kakao, uh, one of the big uh, companies there. I spoke at Naver and I spoke at Kakao there. And uh, so I caught the train back and I was talking to one of these young kids uh, on the train. And he, he asked me, he said, oh, look, he said, you know, I, I I've studied this stuff at school, and you know, I'm at university now. He said, I want to get your your you know your advice about this. He said, like I see everyone focusing on the models, and you know, doing all that stuff. He said, but he said it seems to me from talking to the people at Cacao, one of the big things is how do you put these models in production. Right, I said. So I'm thinking of like doing a you know a a knowledge about machine learning plus DevOps sort of role. Now the funny thing is now we would just clear that that's Emma Ops, right? You know, but two or three years ago that didn't really exist as a term in the same way that it does now. And what this this I say kid, but he—you know—he was probably in his early twenties. What this guy was sort of saying was like he could see that, like this is going to be a thing. And I said to him, "Yeah, you're right. You know, it, it's already a thing. Like, there's already, you know, problems around this and stuff like that, and and people are trying to come up with solutions for it. And so I think, you know, so I, my guess is he's probably done very well by becoming the sort of expert at that, sort of specializing in that, and certainly to the point where he would have gotten a job. Uh, you know, and, and done pretty well. And I think that that anyone learning it now, especially if someone's young and they're looking to get a, get a job, they've got to think like that. They've got to be looking at like, okay, two, three years out from here, where do we go? You know, for example, we were talking about sort of bias and model, you know, I guess we we're sort of touching a little bit on model interpretability and stuff too. Uh, that's going to be huge, right? And And we're starting to see that, yeah, you know, there is, Uh, workshops for that that are coming up at an academic level and we're seeing that like google and facebook are definitely aware of that and starting to build tools for it so you've got to think that sort of like a year two years from now there will be jobs of just people working on how to make a, a data set have less bias uh kind of thing um so i think yeah for people looking to sort of get uh jobs in this sort of thing definitely uh at least have some idea of specialization. Yep. Be open enough that you can sort of change along the way, but don't be afraid to sort of get stuck into something. And that's, and that's one of the cool things is like, uh, Martin and I both see you know, nowadays, people that were students of ours, uh, sort of two, three years ago, we've been teaching uh, courses now for about four years and we see, you know, some of the previous students come up and they're like doing all this cool stuff that's gone way beyond sort of you know one area that we show them because they've really specialized and done really well in that sense. So you know, I think that's something that people got to do: um, pick your sources carefully. I, I think there's so many sources out there, um, and some of the sources. It's and it's not just the sources, you know, themselves. Like I think. Uh, you know, the Andrew N courses are, are, are probably great courses. Unfortunately, we've seen a lot of people who've gone through those courses, but they never actually code much, right? <laughs> so they've learned the theory, but then the, you say, okay, well, build a model, right? And oh, uh, you know, I don't remember how, you know, stuff like that. So in a, in a sort of world where really at the end of the day, this is all about building models, you should be trying to build models as much as possible yep. uh, and, and play around with stuff. Um, I get up very early in the mornings, uh, and even like this morning, we're recording this quite early uh, in the morning, but, uh, you know, I I generally get up about sort of uh, 4.30, quarter to 5, and I I go to the gym for a bit to to do a little bit of exercise, but also then sit down and try and do some coding or try some things out. And this morning, I was, you know, mucking around with uh, some new uh, Transformer stuff from the the Hugging Face library is incorporated and seeing like, okay, how are they, you know, updating that and, uh, and I kind of feel like you have to do that nowadays because these libraries change so quickly, you've got to at least be semi on top of them. Um, you know, that and often the challenge is they're changing so quickly that you get bugs and things break and you know all that sort of stuff. But at least then you can sort of get, uh, if you're actually, you know, and, and all that stuff has gotten so much easier. You know, things like Google Colab, now you can just open up an environment and it's there. Yep. You know. That wasn't the case six years ago. Six years ago, you know, you would have to install Jupiter on your computer. If you were, you know, if you wanted to do anything decent, you would need a GPU
0: in your machine. Install drivers, get the driver working. Yeah, (laughs) you'd
1: you'd be constantly fighting with different versions of CUDA Cuda, and stuff like, you know, nowadays, you know, I think people take it for granted that, yeah, you can just open up Colab and it just works, right? It's like, I can import PyTorch, I can import TensorFlow, I can import Jax there, no problems, and it just works, yeah. Okay. So I, I think people, yeah, need to ch- check the sources, but then just build stuff, right? We, uh, we've we seen, so we've had a number of, you know, in we've had interns come and work for us, stuff like that. The people we see that do the best are the people who just build stuff. That uh, There's constantly sort of this, Hacker mindset of just going out there making something. The maker mindset, I guess, is a better way of saying it, All right? Of just trying to, you know, build something, see if it works, uh, learn from when it doesn't, learn from when it does, try iterating that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. So, in the summary, build your build a strong fundamental. Don't be a generalist. Always try to, to do something and learn. Keep on learning, and also, and at, at the end, you have to be specialized in something. So when you are specialized in something, then you you get all the relevant no, uh, uh, knowledge that is important, and then then you can actually move on very far from there. Actually, yeah, I think early on you've got to be a general.
1: Right? I mean, so when you're really yeah. learning the basics. But at some point, you, you know, especially if you want to get a job, you need to stand out, uh, and um. And it's funny because we get a lot of people now who want to be, you know, who are interested in jobs or interested in internships and stuff like that, <clears throat> and they they're like, oh, you know, I, I know how to uh, I know how to build a ResNet or I know how to use like some, you know, and you don't you want to be polite to them and like maybe. Four years ago, that would have been like, hey, that's cool. Come and we'll teach you stuff. Now it's kind of like, yeah, we're, you know, <laughs> that's not the standard that we would be looking at, you know, hiring. We want people that are really up with some of the latest libraries and, you know, building some interesting, you know, more out there sort of projects. So I think the bar is constantly going up. Yeah.
0: Okay, Sam, I think we have a good chat today. So cool. thank you for your time. It's a pleasure. It was a fun chat. Yeah, maybe we can do this again in the future.
1: <laughs> okay. right, sure. No, it's, it's great to talk to you again. You know, we we Because of the pandemic, we haven't met up
0: for quite a yeah. while. And, yeah. you know, yeah, okay. Maybe maybe you drop by. Maybe after the border open, we can actually meet again. <laughs> it sounds like a good idea. Thanks. Bye. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like to help support the podcast, Please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. Follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify Podcasts. If you have any comments or recommendations, I'll be glad to receive your voice messages. Send me your voice messages via the link in the show notes. To catch all latest episodes, you can follow this show on our website www.aimldatatalks.com or our social media such as Instagram or Twitter with the handler at AIML Datatox. Thanks again. I will see you next time.